Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Get the pace car! What for? Because you hit any other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. Good evening, race fans. Welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to the Drafting the Circus program brought to you by Dan Blay Racing Art and Legend of the First Super Speedway. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we go over the biggest weekend in racing that is now behind us. Joining me in the studio, I have my good friends Richard Uden and Louise Torres. Fellas, how are we? Good, thank you. Yourself? Worn out from a marathon of racing, but, uh, <laughs> you know, at least at least I wasn't doing the double. I wasn't in the car, so. Yeah. I'm worn out with the number of red flags this weekend. Yes, I know. I know you like you like to track red flags. That's one of your um, little things that you uh, that you enjoy doing to keep up with. So, uh, yeah, so I kept you busy this weekend. So, yeah, yeah, five I, of them, technically five of them. Yeah. So let's let's start with, obviously, the Indianapolis 500. Um, so Scott Dixon, phenomenal performance in qualifying, phenomenal performance in the first two thirds of the race. Um, he looks absolutely unbeatable. He sets the record for all time lap leader at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And then he has a victory slip between his fingers. Once again, a little too hot going in the pit lane. Couldn't get it slowed down before he hit the timing strip. I've got a question for you on that, actually, Frank. Sure, yeah. Uh, was it, do we know which sort of section he got done for speeding on? Was it entry? It was, uh, yeah, because I was, uh, where I sit, I'm right, right there near the pit entrance. And he he smoked the tire, slammed the brakes, coming in the pit stop there, trying to slow it down. And it was right my there. wondering was, because I think he had the last pit stall, didn't he? Uh, yes, because he started from the pole. Yep, so he had the very yeah, last pit stall. Yeah, and, and sometimes so was, what I, I've seen this happen, especially at NASCAR races, the guys with the last pit stall think they can get out, get out without having to push the pit limiter, which obviously does slow you down a little bit, even if you, in theory, it shouldn't. Uh, so I was just wondering, I my my immediate reaction was that he got done on exit, but uh, I may be wrong. I'm not I'm quite sure it was an entry. Uh, he he just came okay. in too hot. Uh, yeah, I I watched him, you know, smoke the tires trying to slow it down, and uh, you know, by his own estimation, he was probably only a mile or two mile per hour over, although I haven't seen the official word of, you know, of course, uh, you know, Scott's going to say it was close, but uh, man, just um, disheartening for that poor guy who put in such a great effort all month long um, only to, um, you know, see it slip away that quickly. Um, also his teammate Palou started out, you know, with, uh, with a great run, Scott and Alex were swapping the lead back and forth in the early going of the race. Um, Palou had another had an issue on pit road where he was entering the pits when the yellow came out and they closed the pits when he was already committed to pit lane, which, which has caused for, you know, a lot of people to think maybe we need to rethink that rule a little bit, you know, maybe if a guy's already committed and in, uh, you know, let him complete his service, but uh, he definitely, you know, got the raw end of the deal there. And then he ended up having to make an extra stop uh, cause they didn't get all fuel in. So uh, that kind of, uh, that was early in the race. He was able to recover to, I believe, ninth. But, uh, you know, again. Yeah, in, in it just early... took him too long, too late by that point to get there. Exactly, exactly. Then, of course, as we all know, you know, the, the benefactor of the the Ganassi woes was their Ganassi teammate, Marcus Erickson, who is a, um, it's just a great story. Here's a guy who spent five years at almost 100 Grand Prix's, um, 
you know, uh, with uh, backmarker teams, you know, really unable to show what he's got. And then now he's, uh, you know, three years into his IndyCar career, or, or is it four years now? Yeah, he's in his. He's been competing since 19 he's, when he drove for Smith Peterson for that for one Schmidt year. Smith Peterson, they dropped him after a year. Um, and then he, uh, yeah, so he's been with Ganassi for, yeah, the, all of 2020 and 21. And now he's back with Ganassi, won a couple of races last year. But now, uh, you know, he's, uh, his name is amongst the immortals now. Uh, you know, the Indianapolis 500 win certainly changes your life. It, it certainly changes the way you're introduced the rest of your life. Um, just a fantastic day for that young man. And, you know, and there were some people who were a little underwhelmed with him as a winner. But, you know, as I as I look at this thing, right, you know, you you compare him to some of the indie greats. Right. You know, so you know, Marcus qualified well. He kept up front all day. He kept it clean all day um, and, and he turned it on when it mattered at the end there. I mean, there's a guy named Rick Mears who used to win races that way and nobody was underwhelmed with that. So, yeah, I'm no, just, it's, it's just, ridiculous. People need to I don't think you'd ever be underwhelmed with somebody who does, you know, who drives in that way. Yeah. Was he the fastest guy of the day? Probably not, but he did what he needed to do. He didn't make the mistakes. And I hate it when people say, oh, so-and-so didn't deserve something or whatever. Of course, he deserved it. Yeah, look, you know. He, he I mean, made you, you most can... of it, absolutely. And I said this back. Sorry to interrupt, Richard. No, um, no, no. I made, I made this thought last year. Dating back to last year, the way with Erickson was pretty sporty, like in the top 10 during practice session, I said... Maybe there's a good chance that Erickson could be an absolute sleeper. Sure, last year's 500, that wasn't much of the case, but I feel like he has gotten better each year, especially on the ovals. Because when I look back at Texas, when he got that top 10, I got that third place finish on the podium in road course racing style, that is top three on ovals in my eye. That's just terminology. But I felt like Erickson could be an absolute sleeper in this one. And lo and behold, he was there the entire time in the top top six, waiting for his moment. And that's that's part of Erickson's character as a driver. He waits for the right moment. He makes it, or he makes his presence known when it matters most. And he did it in that final set of pistols when Dixon had that pit penalty, and it also helped to have like a bit of a gap, which also helped his fellow sweet Felix Rosequist later in the going to be out front to be in the mix as well. Clean air is vital, and I think the way they mastered the strategy, it worked for Erickson, and that's why I felt like he's going to be a contender, but don't don't expect to be right out of the game. Wait for when it matters most, and he yeah, got it done. That's how you win a long race, and I'll tell you, the, the thing that really won it for him was his outlaps after that, that round of pit stops where he was able to you know, get ahead of steam and got around both McLaren cars, you know, you know, one and then the other, which eventually cycled him to the lead. Uh, I mean, that was the defining moment of the race. Otherwise, if, you know, if he stuck behind those those guys, otherwise it's a McLaren one too, um, which end up Pato Ward did end up finishing second, and I believe Felix was fourth. Yeah, Kanan uh, got Kanan, third. Kanan snuck in the third, and then Rossi, who started towards the back, started twentieth, was in fifth. So, uh, pretty good day for Rossi, considering the struggles Andretti Autosport had had. Uh, oh, yeah. you know, over over the month, you know, so uh, but oh, yeah. uh, another another thing about this race before we get into talking about the red flag was the fact that it was it was a relatively clean race. All the incidents that we saw, I mean, there were, you know, a good amount of cautions, but every incident were was a single car incident. We didn't see any guys. Yeah. We didn't see any guys get into one another. OK, a um, couple of guys touched didn't they? who touched. There was one. Wasn't it Ferrucci and somebody touched? I, I want to say probably so. Ferrucci, another guy who shows that he's really good at Indy. Oh, yeah. You know, he's another, he's finishing top 10 every time he's run it. So, um, yep. yeah, I think he did a little, little, little touch, just a little touch, but uh, yeah. yeah, nobody really getting into it. There was no, no, there was no, no accidents based on two people. Right. No. Now, un unfortunately, the, uh, one of the guys that uh, did wreck was uh, Callum Eilat, who uh, actually ended yeah. up uh, breaking his hand or breaking a bone in his hand and he will miss the Detroit Grand Prix. Um, and the aforementioned Santino Ferrucci will be filling in for him at Detroit, which will be, I'd be pretty good to see. You know, I, I always like Ferrucci. I think he, he brings a lot to the series. So, 
For sure. I think retrospectively, he's done what he's done to fix his reputation. It's just a matter of what he wants to do with his racing career, because sooner or later, supposedly, he may have a he might dabble on the NASCAR a little bit. He's done some Xfinity races, hasn't he? Yeah, he did so last year for Sam Hunt Racing. That was it, yeah. Where I think he's led to the Josh Berry double burn moment at Phoenix ages ago, but that's a different story for another time. Yeah, I want to say he's got a couple Xfinities lined up for later this season. That's what I've heard. That's what I'm mistaken. Yeah, I I don't think any, you know, dates or racetracks have been announced yet, but I believe he's got. uh, got some funding and and uh, has a ride for a couple of Xfinity races. Just you know, time and place to be announced. But uh, yeah, the but, only but, thing you know, but great run, great run for him, great payday for him. You know, so yeah, it shows that Dryer Roybal still got, still got, still shows. Doesn't matter who they put on the car, they're going to deliver you a, a strong result. It's just a matter of how to make that next step to be a contender for wins. Yeah, That's the so, next thing for Dryer Roybal at Indy. Right, absolutely. Yeah, and they they have you know shown they have cars capable of running towards the front they just you know they just haven't hit it right but i think that uh every now and again you you hear rumblings that dry rainbow might go full-time but it's it's not come to fruition yet uh but uh some i wouldn't mind seeing another full-time uh you know car on the grid uh put together by those guys they've been in the sport a long time so but louise since it's your forte Let's talk about the red flag. Okay. The red flag drew a little bit of ire from the old timers who, uh, who call themselves racing purists. Uh, they said, no, it's, you should have just run out to six laps. Um, but I don't know if you ask me, if you call yourself a racing purist, it's you're, you're, you're just posturing. Okay. I, I can't imagine that anybody that's that sits and watches a 500 mile race and it's a hard fought race. Uh, would find six laps of caution to end the day. I, I don't see how you could find that satisfying at all. As a matter of fact, when the red flag came up, there were loud cheers that came from the crowd that, yes, we're going to get to see a finish. You didn't have anybody on the radio going, it's not right, Michael. <laughs> mm, maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe Johnson's teammate, because he was out in front, but at the time being, but yeah, let's talk about that. So, since 1964, we have had counting to counting the one with Johnson. We're now at 20 red flags. The first in this decade, the first is 2019 when they had that big wreck with Bourdais and Ray Hall where Ferrucci made it through unscathed and turned three. It's the latest red flag to have ever come out in the Indy 500 history, to my knowledge. Lap 197 was the official stop lap. Right. The latest it was, beforehand uh, was Townsend Bell from 2014 when they red flagged it at around lap 191-192. I think yeah, I think that actually the yellow came out at 191 and they threw the red at 194. Somewhere along. Right. Yeah, somewhere yes. Along yeah, because I was actually looking that up just the other day. Can't imagine why. Yeah, but for sure, I knew for a fact that the number of laps left, this was the latest. So, I think I feel like. Hmm. Go ahead. Sorry. So, what is the actual rule then, or is this a at the race director's discretion? It's pretty much at race... discretion. Yeah, There's it's, it's no last red flag lap rule like NASCAR had from like O two to O four. Yeah, but I mean, so the IndyCar their statement, you know, says something like, "We always try to." preserve a green flag finish for our fans. Right. And then of course people say, well, well, what happened in 2020? Well, number one, there were no fans there, but no, number two, you know, the way that they, they, the, um, you know, the end of the pit lane, the pit wall was destroyed and they were also kind of running out of daylight there. Mm -hmm. So I think that, uh, yeah, I think that by the time they would have got that fixed, they never would have got going. So that was, yeah, we just let that one run out, right? And on top of the fact, Piggott was injured from that one, too. Yes, yeah. So they had, you know, so you got a guy injured there. Uh, the wall is damaged. And I believe there were only three or four laps left. Yeah, I think it was like three to go. So there was no way to, because unlike a NASCAR, any cars have to be on pit road when they stop the race. They have to, because if they don't, then. They, because they got to start up the car and all that stuff, because it's still like, what are you? From my, what I understood, and hopefully I say it correctly, like how it always has been, you, you you get somebody to start up the car. It's not by the driver's discretion. It's by the crew member that has the equipment for it. Correct. Am I right, Richard? I mean, Frank. 
Uh, yeah, they yeah, they have a the outboard starter. Yeah, so yeah. I, I mean, one of the I, I, I want to say one of the things when we go to the the hybrid type engine is going to be an onboard starter, uh, which yeah, same as the hybrid Formula One. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, but yeah, they they use the outboard starter where they you know they just stick it in the back there, crank that thing up. So, um, so it'd be interesting to see how a lot of those like cautions where people spin off actually sort of play out in. Uh, when they get get the hybrid, because that's one other thing in IndyCar, isn't it? Where they can just restart them and push them on the way when they're stalled. But obviously, it takes quite a bit of time to get the guys out there, and you know. Whereas now they can spin, oh, stall, but bang, off we go. Be interesting. Yeah, yeah, because if you've seen in the past where guys, you know, they hey, I need a tow, I need a tow. You know, tie the, the tow rope to the roll hoop and give the guy a push till he bumps. And if it's it. somebody they don't like, they make sure they take the time before they give them start. <laughs> if it was, uh, if, it's, it's, uh, if it was Danica, they, uh, they, you know. <laughs> that's why it's always a bonus to be nice. We're talking to, about to Surfers the... Paradise 08 when they took forever for Danica to get him out because of how she was impatient with them. Wow. Yeah, but it but anyway, very difficult for a driver when they're in that position. But yes. Yes, but uh, as far as I'm concerned, I'm I thought it was the right call to uh, to to get us a better finish. I, I mean, you know, six laps of caution to end the race is you know it's like paint drying. You can watch it, but you know it's it they had to go was, quick yeah, if they wanted they, to get yeah, a green flag well, finish with one to go. Yeah, you, whether you watch it or not, it's going to come out the same. So uh, you know, if you if you're going to run the last six laps of caution, all you're asking is for everybody to start fouling out to their cars. Just saying, I, I I was a fan of it. Most of the folks in the stands were a fan of it. It's just these, you know, keyboard tapping purists. And I'm, you know, honestly, if you're a purist and you say you think that's a satisfying ending, I'm sorry, you're just you're posturing. That's I that's, was just curious how my my, my, two, my two cents. Yeah, so yeah, I think they ultimately made the right decision. If they have enough laps, they they'll do it. It's not like if it's a late race, they'll probably do one lap of yellow and then boom, go back at it, which they did with two to go. So they were able to do it because if they wanted to get it quickly, you'll be in a position where you may get a one lap shootout and they may have not cleaned everything up. And I think if I remember, wasn't a safer barrier took a hit as well. Because there were a lot of hits in, in certain parts of the track all throughout the afternoon. Uh, yeah, a lot of the hits were in turn two. Turn yeah. two seemed to be, uh, and, I, and I sit in turn four. It was the wind, it, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Yeah, was, the wind was definitely a roll. Yeah. Johnson now, and McLaughlin, I think they said on the radio broadcast, they had they the wind really kind of kicked in in the high gear. And yeah, they just well, McLaughlin, McLaughlin lost it coming out of three into four. Yeah, he, he was the only guy that crashed on the other end of the track. So, yeah, uh, but, and then uh, he sort of had a secondary impact, didn't he? Yes, yeah, he hit twice. Yeah, he, he wanted to test both safer barriers inside yeah, and outside. Just in case, you know, just in case, so make sure they all see, work exactly. But it's interesting to see that they're not, you know, the 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 accidents that people had. They were quite early in the corner with the way that people were you know, losing control of the car, which is very unusual. I think there must have been something there with the weather conditions that definitely, you know, a, a lot of people sit there and listen to the drivers go, oh, you know, it was the wind, oh, yeah, whatever. But no, that they were unusual impacts. Normally you sort of see them more towards the exit of the corner as they're trying to really put the car under load and uh, and, and, and make, you know, sort of straighten out. But uh, it was interesting to see. That it was, yeah. So let's talk about the... Post race controversy, which would be the awarding of the rookie of the year, which has got everybody's panties in a wad. Um, we have that every five years if it's a Dale coin driver. Yeah, I know, right? So, but hey, you know, I, uh, there's uh, J- Jimmy Johnson is the 10th guy to be named rookie of the year that was not the highest finishing rookie, but the other nine, well, eight of the other nine, uh, actually had decent performances in the race. Um, that were, you know, somehow made them a little worthy. Like, like when you talk about Teo Fabi uh, in 83, uh, you know, Fabi led all the practices. He set a track record, sat on the pole, led, I believe the, he led till the first round of pit stops till they realized that the fueling rig on the car, on the, the fueling rig was, was busted and they could not refuel the car and his day ended right then and there. So he dropped out early, but yet, that performance up till then, uh, you know, made him a rookie of the year over Al Unser Jr., who finished 10th. 
Yeah, and he came from Formula One, if I recall. He basically yes. came in cold turkey on an oval. Yep, sure did. It was his first oval race, yeah. And uh, he, he just came in, came in and like, wow, who's this kid, you know? Um, yeah, a couple of other instances. There was uh, Mark Donahue was named Rookie of the Year, even though he was 10 full laps behind Peter Revson. Uh, and Revson, I think, finished fifth. I think Donahue finished seventh. But uh, Donnie was 10 laps down. But prior to uh, Donnie even having a very long pit stop to repair a turbocharger, his race pace and his driving was, you know, far and above, above anything Revson was doing. So Donnie was named Rookie of the Year. Now, the, the one that always confuses me, mm-hmm. Simona Di Silvestro. Oh, I thought you were talking about the more obvious one. The obvious one. Uh, well, now the uh, the Alonzo one. I mean, Alonzo has no, there. not the not the Alonzo one. The one that you mentioned that might have been the exception, because it involves a race winner. Oh, Graham Hill. Yeah, I, well, yeah. Graham Hill had the race fall on his lap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, because the, Jackie yeah. had that one in the palm of his hand, so that one I could understand naturally. Yeah, ja- Jackie had a had a. Uh, this is nineteen sixty six. Jackie Stewart had a lap on the field. So he had a mechanical take him out with nine laps to go. Uh, Graham Hill inherits the lead and wins the race um, as a rookie. But they give Jackie rookie of the year. And again, rookie of the year is subjective. It's, it has to do with race performance, performance through the month, performance in qualifying. And then it has to do with the intangible things like fan interaction, media presence, media interaction. And it's the media that vote on this, right? And, and I actually... Spent a little bit of time yesterday speaking with a member of the media. Uh, that'd be uh, our friend, John Oriovitz, who um, has, he's not covering IndyCar at this day and age, but uh, he in the past has been uh, on the voting panel there. Um, and uh, I, I just talked to him a little bit and, and he told me that, uh, you know, he understood the Alonzo one. He said he would have voted for Malukas. He said, but I mean, he said the thing that they said Malukas finished 15th, right? If Malukas had finished in the top 10, like Ed Jones did, he said this would be horribly egregious. Yeah, so, that's, so the yeah. that's the what thing. That's the thing, yeah. Back. And that's why I put that Twitter poll, which, like I mentioned off air, that normally when I do Twitter polls, I average about only 20 people. This one had over 300. And it looked like at one point it was 50-50. And then retrospectively at the end, it was advantage Johnson over Malukas. But the thing is, I felt like the thing that had me a bit reserved, I can totally understand. I don't only know for a fact how the system works, which is why Alonso was able to get it over Ed Jones. Because what, whereas Jones wasn't too far, wasn't awfully far behind Alonso in terms of the gap between them in positions and, and all that. Alonso had a strong car, but this goes to a test that the Andretti cars were strong in that 16 to 17 year, where if Rossi didn't have won that one, it would have been Carlos Munoz, very likely in 16 and 17. Any one of them could have been in the mix, and Alonso would just happen to be in front. And then when the engine let go, that eliminated his chance from winning it. And Jones picked up the pieces, and he had a strong month in 17 as well. It's just the fact that there's a lot of things that contribute to it, and Alonso was the more consistent. And I feel like this was similar to the same this year. Problem is, I felt like had Johnson put didn't have that near scary episode in qualifying, he would have been in the fast nine. Had he been in the fast nine, I wouldn't. Have, there would have been no debate that Johnson would have locked up Rookie of the Year honors, in spite of what happened during the race where he was a complete MIA. Well, exactly. Well, yeah. I, see, that's that's the that's the stumbling block for me, right? Johnson did everything he needed to do as far as fan interaction, media interaction, performance through qualifying, um, you know, showing respect for the speedway, bringing value to the events, right? Things that, I mean, Jimmy can bring eyes and value to the event in a way that a David Malukas cannot. Although, by all, you know, accounts, by all accounts, Malukas busted his butt trying to be available for all the media that wanted to talk to him. It just, you know, it's, it's hard to compete with that name. Yeah, but so, also, so yeah. So the issue I have is that, yeah, Jimmy dropped like a rock once the green flag flew. Yeah. He led a lap but late, that was during the cycle during, during, during pit stop cycles. Yeah. I mean, 
Yeah, Marco led a lap too, and he was nowhere all day. And then and then Jimmy Rex on his own. Um, so but yeah, but at the end of the day, yeah, Malukas ran fifteenth. So it's yeah, he was it's, there, but it's he not, needed it's not, to crack yeah. that top ten like Sato was for a good bit of it. Yeah, but it's not like you know where Ed Jones finished third and they yeah. give the thing to Alonzo. So it's it's a tough call. But I mean, there's no doubt that Jimmy brings eyes to the sports, and there's no doubt that he's been a media darling. But uh yeah, this just didn't sit well with a lot of folks. So yeah. now and Richard, also, real quick, Richard, real, you've been quiet over there. All right, we'll let Richard say something <laughs> real quick. I was gonna make real real quick about also, it does help to have one of the top PRs in racing right now with Amy and Johnson's PR person for a number of years. Was she also won an award this year for something? I forget what they call it the Excellence in Public Relations at Indy, somewhere around those lines. Well, there you go. All right. So, Richard, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, it, it's a difficult one, isn't it? It, it, it is. You know, you, if you look at Rookie of the Year and pure performance, you know, at the end of the day, he, he didn't win that. But if you look at the criteria that defines rookie of the year, uh, th- there's more to it than that, isn't there? And I think, you know, he's probably not going to be far of that in terms of the attention and the viewing figures and the attraction that he brings to the series. And it's like um, on the PJ Tour for Golf, they now have this prize fund for fan interaction, or I can't remember the exact terminology of it now, but you know, how the players bring people into the sport through their social media and all this sort of stuff and their, you know, clicks and likes and all that sort of stuff. And it it's massively important now to these sports to get that, um, you know, uh, interaction with the fans and get people in there so you can understand why, um, you know, why he won that. You know, and he did, you know... It's a pretty daunting track to go there, and I know he's probably, in reality, done as many, pretty much, probably as many laps as anybody who's in the field on that uh, circuit in a, in a in a cup car combined. So uh, you know, but he still did, still has to do it, don't, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. Plus, I mean, you know, factor in that Jimmy was on the Tonight Show and Jimmy was on yeah. Good Morning America promoting the race, right? But again, these are things that a David Malukas would not be invited to. You know what I mean? No. So, so it's, exactly. it's, it's a tough call, but you can't, you can't just hand off the rookie of the year to the highest finishing rookie. All right. No. Cause, cause, uh, cause again, you know, what if like Alonzo's case got to let a bunch of laps, right. You know, um, or Jackie Stewart, Jackie, Jackie, Jackie Stewart's case, Teo Fabi, um, Jose LaGarza. These are all guys that won rookie of the year that were not the highest finishing rookie. So, that's what they're called. And, yeah, yeah, so so sorry. Very uh, rarely they gonna, give uh, out co-rookie years uh, like what Jordan and Andretti or Jordan uh, Pruitt. I want to say they did, well, Andretti and Guerrero were co-rookies of the year. And I think and, the and, one and, uh, that Jordan was too. Jordan and I think there are three cases of co-rookies of the year, and that's where the voting was tied. Actually, Rick Mears is a co-rookie of the year with somebody else. I can't remember who. So, yeah, sorry, just to go back to the point I was making earlier. So the PGA Tour have this thing called the Players Impact Program, and to quote, which aims to reward players based on their popularity and social media impact, regardless of their results on the course. So it's a similar sort of concept here. We're starting to realize this, aren't we? We're starting to see this now. That sort of side of things is as important, if not more important, from a sponsorship standpoint, because at the end of the day, it's sponsors which pay the, you know, the driver's wages and the, the team's uh, bills for the year. That <laughs> excuse me, that's as important, if not more important, than raw prize money. So, you know, it won't be long until you. you I'm, I'm sure other sports are going to start having this. You know what they call it, player impact program. Um, and it'll be interesting to see who comes up on that. You know, within within all the motorsport series, it'd be interesting to maybe take a show one week when the racing's quiet and discuss that and see what we think of it. Yeah, yeah, that would be a great topic for a for a show one time. So uh, before we stop talking about Indy, let's talk about the second place finisher, Pato Award. Uh, there were some folks who questioned the fact that he seemed to lift yep. while chasing Erickson at the end. And uh, so, uh, um, Richard, what were your, what were your thoughts, on, thoughts on that? Yep. Yep. So I wonder, I'm wondering if he didn't, I think he could have, you know, he obviously backed out of that movie to turn on in the last lap. And I wonder 
if he didn't think that he was going to have another shot down into turn three. And uh, obviously that would be a last chance move and Ericsson wouldn't have had an opportunity to, to bite back. And maybe he just lost a little bit too much momentum and got a little bit squirrely or something on the uh, apex of turn one there and just lost that momentum, which he was never, never able to get back. That's my thought. Um, uh, well, he was you know, running he just... He was running hmm. less downforce than the Ganassi cars. Yeah. So, so his car would have been a little bit looser. And I wonder if he just, yeah. uh, you know, kind of thought to himself, if I stay right here, I'm going to put it in the wall. And yeah, I think, I think Pato said it. Well, I, you figure for a guy who's also got the championship on his mind, second place on a double points day is, is better than, you know, yeah. a trip to yeah. the, trip to the infield that's care a, center. You know what I mean? Yeah, and also they could have taken out others too. Yeah, another one of my yeah. pet hates and and rants about the Indy 500 is the doubles points issue. But we've talked about that pretty much every year. Uh, we have this race, but uh, I I think I, my personal thought is that he, as I say, he backed out. and was going to have a second bite at it, um, going into turn three. Uh, but it just lost too much momentum, and um, um, you know Ericsson was just too fast and didn't make a mistake. I, I genuinely think that because maybe if he'd got into it turn one and made the move, then Ericsson could have got him back going into turn three because you obviously lose that momentum, and you know you do often see it, especially on the last lap. You know that turn three, you know you you do have an opportunity for for passing back there. Yes, yes. Yeah. As to Kumasato. Yeah, yeah, another shot, sure. turn three, till Dario squeezed him. Yeah, and uh, the thing about Pato, <laughs> I think uh, Pato made note of it when I was looking back at the press, at the presser, he mentioned that momentum that is key. Like, yeah, it's going to sting a lot, but here's the, uh, there's some upbringings at the end of the day. He's still in the championship mix. He has finished in, he has completed all 500 miles in each of his 500s that he has qualified. Not many has done that yet. He we talk about Santino with his top fits. Let's talk about Pato as well. Being in the top six or so in each 500 he's made the field for. That comes a long way over time to where eventually maybe when his time comes along, we could we might be talking about him as probably one of the few guys of the future that's gonna be a contender in every five hundred. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. No matter what, no matter the year. Yeah, but racing drivers are very, very. They, they don't think like that in the heat no, of the know. moment, like that. They don't go. Oh, this was more like retrospective. Next year, you know, he's yeah. like, I, 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 I know what you're saying, totally. But I, I think when you put yourself in that position, you you make that move and you oh, go yeah. for it. And no, I'd you know, probably I, be in that same spots unless you're Alan Prost or something. Uh, unless you're Alan Prost or somebody like that, you know, you. <laughs> You make that move all day, every day. No, for sure. That's why they call him the the ninja. I mean, speaking of Detroit, that's how he's able to prop, to fend off New Garden, even if they touch or come close to touching, like then in the second race, he was still going to go for it, and he lo and behold, he got it done in Belle Isle. Yeah. So he's yeah, not afraid to use yeah. it. It's just and there's so much at stake to. When it comes to the 500, sometimes I'd imagine I, I, I'm no driver myself. You got it's just got to go by instinct and what works for the moment and vice versa. You can look back at it and say, oh, we could have done something different, but there's not much you can do. It's like, whatever happened, happens. All you can do mm -hmm. is retro. Yeah, and, and, we all, and we also don't know what coaching he was get from his strategist over the radio either. They, they, they might have yeah. informed him that that would be very ill-advised to uh, 
kind of stay in it right there. But I, you know, yeah. I, I, hey, Pado, here's Zach Brown on the radio. Do you want to? <laughs> <laughs> Zach, yeah, Zach says you break that car, you bought it. <laughs> yep. So, uh, yeah, yeah, but I mean, I just looking at it, I, I don't think he could have pulled it off. I, I think he would have, he would have ended up in the wall. My might even took Marcus with him. So, uh, yeah. which, which would have been pretty popular because I mean, Kanan would have won. And uh, people in Indianapolis love Tony Kanon. Yeah. Um, the question, yeah, he probably or the question is how the laws of physics were to end up with Kanon. Would he? Have, I don't think he would have lifted. He would have gone for it. Would come hell or high water. Yeah. Well, Kanon had nothing to lose. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's not in totally. it for the championship. He's you know he's a one off. Uh, you know it's so, go for a second uh, and, Indy five hundred and also. And great could have Brazil- ended the drought for Ganassi because with Erickson winning, it's been a decade since they won it. Been a decade, yep. It's been a decade. And uh, Chip, uh, I was talking to who was I? No, I was reading some comments from uh, Marshall Pruitt. He said when he talked to Chip after the race, he looked like 10 years of anguish had been lifted, you know, <laughs> <laughs> as he'd been watching, you know, Michael and Roger win the 500s uh, after he had quite a good stretch there. But yeah, but great job to the whole Ganassi team. You know, even even with the the miscues in pit lane, uh, with uh, Pato and um, uh, Scott. No, uh, not Pato. Not Pato. Wrong, wrong no, 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 no. A- Alex. Pelo. Pelo. Alex Pelo. Oh, yeah. a miscue with Pelo was it really? I mean, it was just no, no, it no. It was just it was, it was just unfortunate. Yeah, he just. I mean, you wonder, you wonder if there isn't some rule or regulation that can avoid that because he didn't. You know, it was not like. The Dixon one, fair enough, he made a mistake. But Pelo didn't. It wasn't like he tried to come into the pit lane when he knew it was closed and had brain fade. You know, he was, you know, you almost wonder if, like, when the yellow comes out, they don't freeze the field until everybody can do a lap and, you know, something like, I don't know. I mean, I'm just, because I, I think that was really unfair on him. And yeah, I, you know, I, you I thought so too. Yeah, I, I yeah. would, I would, if I, if I had my druthers, I would say if a guy's already there in the entrance and committed, just let him get his service. Because when you force the guy to go, he's got to go through 60 miles an hour anyway, right? Yeah. So he's already, you know, he's already losing that time. Just go and let him get his service. But but I understand the reasoning for closing the pits, you know, and we started doing that in 92. But do they have like, think, a, in, yeah. in IndyCar, do they have like a, a, a commitment cone or whatever, not a cone, obviously, but a line like they're doing Formula One and, and NASCAR where, you know, if they're past that point, they can't enter the pits after that line, but they can leave after that line. So, you know what I'm saying? So if they've committed to it and it's a yellow, they can back out or, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, when it's, it's hard to, to Turn that quick. So you could say you that know? You know, if a yellow comes out between these two lines, you weren't trying to gain an advantage. It was an honest mistake. Whereas if the yellow flag comes out before you commit, then you and you go past the commit, then you can exit safely, obviously. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly. Like Hamilton did at Hockenheim in 19, was it? Like. You yes. Know, yeah. 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 I had to be Hamilton to... when Hamilton had that debacle. Well, the crew gave Hamilton a debacle. Yeah. Stay in. Up. Stay out. Do whatever. Oh, yeah. The you, know, and, and, you know that was a prime example of it. You know, if there was something like that where he said, "Okay, the yellows come out," you 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 sort of you committed to the pit line because you passed the commitment line. Okay, you can do you, you stop. Or there's another guy. Yellows come out. He's passed the commitment line. The team tell him to you know go back to the track. He's obviously lost a bit of time because he's obviously probably given up some spots slowing down to get into the pit lane, but not as many as pull- it ruined the guy's race. And the guy was arguably one of the fastest cars out there. Yeah, if it wasn't for if it was not Dixon, Polo was in the mix. I would be curious how those two were to play cat and mouse yeah. because you're talking about legend and legend of quote unquote on the rise. So that would be a neat story. Speaking of somebody, speaking of that. That's something that one Ferrari driver was very irate about. Speaking of pit stops and commitment lines. Okay, are you trying to uh, segue to Monaco? <laughs> like you, you know, you know my shift. You know how you know how I, I transition things if it if it makes sense. 
Yeah, so we probably should uh, get talking about Monaco because we've been uh, talking about Indy for, uh, you know, over 40 minutes here. So, but before we uh, leave the IndyCar series, let's go ahead. We got Detroit Grand Prix coming up. Got a little bit of IndyCar news. Um, Kyle Kirkwood has been signed uh, by Andretti Autosport to take over the 27 ride, uh, which is currently, you know, held by Alexander Rossi. And, of course, the worst kept secret in the world is that Rossi going to be driving the third McLaren car, although that's not announced yet, but, uh, you know, seems to me like, um, uh, Andretti went ahead and got their announcement out in order to one up Rossi. I don't know if that's true or not, but, uh, yeah, Kirkwood, um, you know, he's doing his time here with Foyt. He's, uh, he's probably, he's making the Foyt team look better than it has in the last couple of years. So, uh, uh, you know, good on Kyle Kirkwood. I, I mean, I like the kid. He's got a lot of talent. Um, you know, hopefully, it was I, imminent as well because yeah, oh yeah, the he's, Sauber he's, deal worked out. The Alfa Romeo deal worked out. He would have been Andretti right now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He was. I mean, and Andretti's kept him under contract or has an option on his contract. They're merely loaning him to Foyt. You know, although under the guise of uh, Honda's loaning him, but but really, um, I mean, he's been an Andretti guy all through the. Uh, they just didn't have a spot for him in 22, but they've got a spot for him in 23. So. Yeah, and they let him venture off, so he's sure he's going to have an Indy car ride because he was the reigning Indy Lights champion. And when they had that DeFrancesco deal sorted out, they kind of left him hung out to dry. He just wanted to let him to look at it somewhere in case the Alfa Romeo deal falls through, and ultimately it did. And he's with Ford, which he has done quite well. And he had a he had a pretty so-so month of May. He was in the mix of battling with. With his Indy Light Championship championship rival Malukas at the very end, that they both kind of knew what was at stake. Yeah, he finished uh, one spot behind Malukas. He yeah. finished finished sixteenth. So, I mean, not a horrible day for for your first five hundred, you know. Um, so, no, he but, held. Uh, his, he stayed out of trouble for the most part. I think he's probably one of the only rookies that kind of didn't have like an incident of any kind, whereas others had one or more. Yeah, yeah, uh, like we already talked about Calum Island, so but let's go ahead and make a pick for Detroit so we can go ahead and talk about the uh, the wet and rainy Monaco Grand Prix. So, Louise, who do you like for Detroit? Hmm, I still feel like Joseph Newgard is gonna get it done. I know we talked about the 500 while well, I mentioned Fensky again, they're gonna have to move on from another abysmal 500 and bounce back in Belle Isle and they're front their other backyard which is of course chevy's backyard but you get my drift absolutely yep so all right so and you know penske guys have been good on these type of courses they they kind of they faltered at indy you know um they, they didn't look to be the typical penske you expected indy but they've been you know up until this point of the season they've, they've all been pretty solid so that's a good pick richard who do you like for detroit uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna think Ganassi are gonna go back to back, but I think it's either gonna be uh, Dixon or Pillow bouncing back from that very, very disappointing week in uh, uh, in Indianapolis. All right, and you know who won Detroit last year, right? Marcus Erickson. Yep. So uh, wouldn't it be neat to see him go back to back there? So you know he's got that points lead Double right back now. to back. Yeah, he's got, he's got the points lead there. Um, it's just one Bell Isle race. So that's yeah, they're just, just yeah, they're just one race the, this year. The last one too in <laughs> Bell Isle. Yep. Yeah, we moved downtown next year, so I'm gonna go with um, uh, Erickson just because uh, I think it'll be neat to see uh, you know somebody win the next race right after Indy. We've seen it a, a number of times in the past when they used to go right to Milwaukee, but now we go right to Detroit. And it's been a while since we've seen anybody go back to back, you know, Indy and Detroit. So, uh, but Erickson won there last year. Erickson's riding a high. Erickson's leading the points. I, I like Marcus. I sure do. All right. So, Grand Prix of Monaco. A little, yeah. bit, of, a little bit of a late start due to the uh, the weather. So, uh, Richard, take us through it a little bit. Uh, you know, Monaco, this tight, twisty street circuit. And to get on my bandwagon on this again, this is a street circuit, a proper street circuit. Not like Saudi Arabia or, or Miami. They're not street circuits. This is a street circuit. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, um, you know, good, interesting practice. Um, qualifying was, 
qualifying for me is the highlight of Monaco weekend. Uh, to see those guys on the edge of their, you know, the, the mechanical and physical capabilities of those cars is, is phenomenal. And uh, again, we saw, you know, that slip up at the end there with uh, Sergio Perez spinning out, coming, um, coming onto the start. Uh, I think it's Portier, isn't it, before they enter the tunnel? He spun off and then Sainz collected him and that held up Stappen. Despite all of that, I still think Leclerc would have had Paul because he was on a seriously fast lap when that red flag came out. I don't think anybody would have caught that. But, um, you know, for a couple of days before the race, there was the promise of light showers on Sunday afternoon. And he said, ooh, that could be interesting. And then you wake up early Sunday morning and, oh, no, it's going to be dry and clear. And then as it gets towards the race, there could be a little shower here or there. And then, goodness me, it's like biblical rain comes down about 20 minutes after the proposed start of the race. And, um, yeah, they end up, you know, they start to delay the start. Uh, they then go into a safety car procedure uh, and then, oh, goodness me, it's like monsoon weather. And uh, they end up red flagging the race, stopping the race for a while. And then when they eventually do get it up and running, they start behind the safety car. And it was all in that whole process and sequence was a now, little bit. Now, Richard, were, were there not like issues with the. The starting lights, yeah. I'd heard that. Yeah. So, so, they so that's why they we, did, have, we didn't have the proper Formula One standing start. Supposedly, yeah. Now, again, there's a communication standpoint there to the fans and to the spectators and something. I think maybe that should have been, you know, they could look at that and say, well, you know, we could have improved that sort of communication level there because it certainly wasn't, um, you know, good enough, uh, really. You know, people should have been given an opportunity to, to understand what was happening there. But um, the race got started and... Um, you know, as Monaco's Monaco, it was reasonably processional. But to see these guys drive in the conditions that they were driving in, uh, it, it, it's fantastic. You know, it's a, a real, and I think it's an, an sort of a misused word. So it's a privilege to watch those guys drive under those conditions um, on a circuit like Monaco. It, it's phenomenally difficult. Um, and then as the, you know, the, obviously the, the, the track started to dry, everybody, because it was a safety car start, everybody had to start on the extreme wets and it started to dry. And then there was this sort of like period where they went from intermediates to the dry tyre and it was just, some teams got it right and, and some didn't. And, um, you know, uh, Ferrari, unfortunately, got it wrong, uh, for, for, you know, for both, uh, I think Carlos Sainz went straight onto the dry tyre. He did a longer run on the wets than Leclerc did. Leclerc changed to intermediates quite early and then went onto the dry tyre, whereas Sainz went onto the dry tyre straight from the extreme wet on the same lap as Leclerc, which which caused Leclerc to to be backed up and uh, you know was never going to pass Sainz under those conditions. Then as the track was drying, we saw Mick Schumacher, unfortunately, have another big accident um, in the house, which probably did another million dollars worth of damage to his car. So he's unfortunately racking up those repair bills and eating into Hass's budget. You know, we've got to look at this now. We have this budget cap for the year, and, and I'm sure teams do take spare parts and accidents and the like into consideration when they budget. But you look at Mick now with two massive accidents that have, Basically, written off cars, probably the goodness of oh, yeah, two million dollars out yeah, of their budget. Not to mention the fact that you know we, we do you know remember that Haas lost their primary sponsor, so, yep. well, so a, lot, yeah. a lot of yeah, a lot of this money's you know kind of coming out of Gene's pocket to a certain yeah. extent. So, or his company's pocket. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, if I ever pierce up at Apollo, you got to get ready just in case. Well, it was, uh, you know, it, it, it was bad. You know, in goodness me, around Monaco, Monaco is so unforgiving yeah. that you can be, you know, you can misjudge the line by an inch, half an inch, and you have an accident like Mick did. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of pressure on the guy, you know, naturally. And, you know, hopefully he can have a quiet few weeks where he really steps up and starts to, uh, you know, starts to improve. But saying that, we're off to Baku in a couple of weeks and you know, another genuine street circuit so ooh, yeah you you know he's got it you'd really love to see him have a good <laughs> excuse me good clean weekend there 
But, uh, you know, on, on, on top of that, it, you know, Red Bull got, I don't want to say played the strategy card right, because I don't think they did. I don't think anybody, I think when the teams look back on this weekend at their strategy decisions and their strategy calls, it was pretty, you know, toss of a coin sort of thing. You know, which lap do you come into? Which which lap do you change uh, the tyres on? You know, I just see where we see where it all falls out. And I think Red Bull will probably look back on this weekend and go, "We weren't the fastest car, but you know, we looked into uh, the result." But there was still yet another little sliver of controversy which uh, you know crept up at the end of the race. Um, during the race itself, both Red Bull cars, when exiting pit lane, got extremely close to the yellow line on the pit lane exit. And the rules state that a driver is not allowed to cross the pit lane exit. Now, where this has become very muddied is that over the winter, the FIA issued a new set of guidelines which determined that crossing the, white, crossing the pit lane exit means touching the pit lane exit line. And I think it was Sonoda got caught out by this in Melbourne, in Australia. Just, you know, ran his front left tyre out. You know, his tyre didn't cross the line. His left tyre just touched the line and he got a penalty for it. Now, at Monaco, Perez was very close. Uh, from the images, and there's in fact a, a fan's video from one of the balconies uh, at the exit of Sandovot there, and he probably didn't touch the line. He got very close to it. Um, but I think from Verstappen's onboard camera, I would be amazed if he didn't touch that what, that yellow line with his tyre. But this is where the problem came in. The FIA have their rules and regulations, but the stewards have to enact the stewards don't enact those rules. The stewards enact the rules that are being created by the race director for that particular weekend. And they just copied and pasted last year's regulations for the Monaco Grand Prix and didn't implement the new regulation which states about pit lane exit violations. So that gave the stewards the opportunity to dismiss the case and, and probably highlighted a, another big issue there that we saw with, with, um, you know, with these issues there in, in terms of how the regulations are managed. But, um, you know, you, you look at if that hadn't been the case, would Verstappen have got a penalty? And uh, without having seen really clear, con conclusive evidence, I think he'd have got very close to it. But unfortunately, that was a big mess, and yeah, not not a great and you know not not a great sort of way of, of stacking up the race there. I don't think with some of those again the FAA looking at uh, you know how these regulations are written and, and the like. It was all a little bit uh, yeah, a little bit ugh. yeah. I mean, you've got to let the marshals know what rules to enforce. So yeah, I, I tell that's you, my yeah, understanding so. of it. It was incredibly complicated, and I may not have that hundred percent right, but I'm, I think I'm pretty close with it. The rules do contradict each other, and the stewards don't implement the sporting regulations. They implement the regulation that had been released by the race director for that particular race. I think is how it works. All Unnecessarily right. complicated. But all in all, there's chime in as I mentioned. Red flags, there were technically two. It's a very like small over again where they red flagged it before they were going to go lights out and go. So in technical rule books, Formula One don't classify as an official red flag. But because of, but ultimately there was one officially because of mixed huh. wreck from, from mid-race. But there was I, a red flag under the safety car, wasn't there? You had the delayed start, which wasn't yeah. a red flag, but then they don't, they don't count it as an official red flag. It's very similar with Spa, because it's exactly like it was a Spa in 2021, where they red flagged it before they were going to go lights out and all of that. But the red was for to repair the yeah, barriers because the, of because, Mick. Oh, now, yeah, because for the first, when they stopped the race the first time after being behind the safety car, the race hadn't officially started, had it? Yeah. And it only started, the, the race actually started at the two-hour 
limit, which confused everybody because the race is two hours long, but it has to be running in a three hour window. So the race actually officially started an hour after it was meant to start to get it in the two hour window or the three yeah. hour window with the two hour race time. So yeah, even, though the ca- even though the cars were sat in, pit, in the pit lane under a red flag condition, the race actually started at whatever time it was, three o'clock in the afternoon there, just yeah, to confuse everybody it, again. And yeah. even the commentators didn't quite catch that one. Yeah, it was just a hand. It's a hand and hell in a handbasket. The how yeah. the the whole What's entire race. Doing these days. Oh the no, experienced director. I don't know. <laughs> we need to go find Charlie Whiting's secret book, secret formula to see how. <laughs> yeah. System... Shout at people and don't give people like Toto and Christian Horner the opportunity to put you under pressure exactly exactly yeah so uh one other bit of formula one news um uh, perez signed to a uh through 2024 i believe yep yeah which, which, uh, pretty much which gasly out of the running gasly for out gasly who has been done nothing but put on a great performance in the uh <laughs> in the alpha tory um and, and again wonder, yeah even in monaco gasly was the first guy to uh I go to the dry, <laughs> dry tires and, um, yeah, so, yeah. you know, yep. Yep. So, uh, yeah, it makes you wonder, will it's ghastly now a front runner for McLaren or you think you'll stick it to the long haul to make Toro Rosa more than just a junior team of Red Bull, which is pretty much at this point, they've kind of become their own identity. Yeah. I, I mean, Gassy's got some decisions to make, you know, I mean, whether or not that McLaren seat becomes available is, up in the air, we know that uh, uh, you know Zach, Zach says he would like to retain Ricardo, but at the same time, something's got to change performance-wise. Um, and, and you know he's also testing Colton Herta. He's he's got a relationship yeah. with Pato Award, so uh, I, I, I and Pato also cool. extended with McLaren too. Yeah. Yes. But I yes. Don't think those. Yeah. I, I think if I think if Gasly's available. Again, from a, you know, McLaren is supposed to be a team that want to get back to winning championships. I think in Norris they have a fantastic driver. Um, you, you, if you want to be a serious title contender, and no disrespect to them, you don't put Herder or Award in that car. You put Gasly. If, if those three are all available, it's a no-brainer for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Gasly, I mean, he knows the drill. He he knows F one. You know, bringing the IndyCar guy over. Uh, you know, no disrespect to IndyCar, IndyCar guys though, but uh, it's much. Less got a proven little, race winner. How many how many race winners are on the grid that are in their early twenties? <laughs> Not many. All right, so we've only got about six minutes left to talk about the Coca Cola Six Hundred. So, which means we need to talk about a hundred miles a minute. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> actually, was NASCAR history. When did we decide it was six hundred and nineteen and a half miles? Yep, four hundred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Louisa. Quick recap: We saw a Denny Hamlin take the the the, the win, but uh, we saw a lot of. Uh, there was way uh, more than that. Yeah, yeah a, lot, a lot of guys take, take a turn at the front there. Yeah, it was a, it was a long race, a lot of different leaders, uh, a lot of uh, ugly looking accidents. Well, it was yeah. the lowest number of cars running in a non super speedway race since Dover twenty years ago or something, wasn't it? I think it was either 04 or 95 because I know they had like a big wreck that collected like 20 cars at the start in 95. That one that Kyle Petty won. But that yeah, it was close. a pretty, uh, pretty a race of attrition, wasn't it? For the fans oh, yeah. and the drivers. It was a trip because everybody was thinking how long this race is going to take. It's probably going to take five hours. But the way the stage one went, it felt like it's going to be six hours of the Coke, which is a pun of playing with the six hours of the Glen. It's off the Glen, not at the Glen. That I learned the hard way on Sunday. Mm-hmm. That's what they call it, the six hours of the Glen. But that, but I digress. It was looking yes. like Trackhouse's night. There was a good chance that it looked like Ross Chastain and Daniel Suarez were going to bring home a one-two run. Because they, Suarez, although he didn't let a whole lot of laps compared to Chastain, seems like Suarez was the one that can able to work his way through the, through the front much easier than others. But then he got collected in that big wreck that brought out one of two red flags of the 600 and the other being the halfway point, which 
by the official radio, when they say withdraw the yellow, display the red, that equates and that validates to me is an official red flag in my eye. But that's a whole nother topic. Then was when Suarez got collected, it, Todd Gilliland just pretty much obliterated him. And then Harrison Burton turned to Chris Busher. Bush at the same time, Busher and Suarez tangled that broke the fact the suspension of the car. And because of the damaged suspension, it, came, it dug into the artificial grass resulting in the tumble, which Busher said was much more painful than it was at Talladega. And we're talking about full speed, much more horsepower at Talladega compared to the cars that we got right now, which is a little bit less, but it still tumbled pretty hard because you're endo Beren, and it, and it ended up on his roof. Fortunately, Busher was okay. The uh, and it, There's also Kyle Larson, who had the good, bad, and the ugly type of night, except in reverse. It was ugly, then bad, then it got good towards the end and had a fun battle with Chase Briscoe. But again, similar to the Bristol Dirt race, Briscoe coming to two to go in regulation, tried to chance it, lost control, almost in an eerie similar way like he did against Reddick at Bristol. And eliminated him from a race win. Uh, he finished in the top five because of the overtime incidents where the guys paid it very late. Austin Dillon went for four. Chastain Larson went for two. Dillon made a bold move that initially I thought he's the one who caused the wreck. Then when I looked at it, I was thinking Hamlet caused it. And then at the end, I came to the conclusion it was just a racing ordeal. You got to go for it. Dillon, Chastain, Larson, Joey Logano among others who were involved and basically were out on the running. And that's put Denny Hamlin and Kyle Busch out in front. And Hamlin went on to get his second win of the season, becoming the third driver to win multiple times this year. Oh, that was eventful. That was fast. Yeah. Yeah. The, the interesting thing was, uh, <laughs> you know, when uh, Busher was upside down, you know, it's just interesting to see because you're so used to that uh, NASCAR stock car having, you know, you see all the, the, the engine exposed and the, the you know and this now they got this totally flat bottom on there you know it almost looks like a you know little matchbox car you turn upside down so but uh yeah great job for denny hamlin um so where are we off to next uh gateway, gateway. right gateway yeah so that's a first time for the cup series there gateway is a neat little track you know it's kind of a bit of an egg-shaped oval it looks a little yeah. like darlington but smaller uh, yeah, I was there. So, uh, uh, I was there a couple of weeks ago, and they've got a lot of work to do to get it ready. I'll tell you. Yeah, I tell you. Yeah, yeah. That's so, not I mean, the only thing they got work to do. <laughs> I must say, well, since I went there last in nineteen for IndyCar and ARCA. Yeah, East. but it does show you that uh, you know the, the sort of quality of not disrespect, but the quality of the tracks that uh, IndyCar go to. I mean, I was very surprised at how poor uh, the setup was there. You know, in terms of the, and I'm sure it'll be a lot better. But to know that they've been racing IndyCar there for a few years, ooh, yeah. We get this, there's a lot of things that they could upgrade, but it kind of shows you that a sold out crowd, and it shows you what Chris Blair and those guys have done with the, with the circuit. That is one of the best promoted events out there. No, yeah, yeah and and they did a heck of a job promoting their IndyCar races out there too. They were able to fill the stands uh -huh. there, so you know, hopefully that'll yeah, bring them in a. Uh, enough income to, to do some upgrades to the track yeah. there, but the cup guys will be there. Uh, you so know, are the trucks. Whether, whether, and the trucks, whether we get a, uh, an upgrade Red, or not. So let's go ahead and teasing Portland, isn't it? Yep. I yep. Trip yep. down there this weekend. And that'll, are we heading to Xfinity race? I love Portland. It's a great, uh, you know, one of the classic American road courses there. Uh, so that'll be, uh, that'll be, I always love the Xfinity road course races even more so than the cup races. I don't know why they just tend to produce a really great product. Uh, when the Xfinity guys are on the road courses, you know, of course they, uh, you know, they, they paved the way they, they were at road America uh, before the cup guys were. And, and now they're in Portland. Uh, I don't know if we'll see the cup guys there eventually. Yeah. But uh, they always put on a good show, but so let's pick a winner for gateway. Cause we need to get off the air. So go. new track. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I have no idea. I'm, oh, I'm going to go with Logano. All right. And Richard? I couldn't possibly pick a winner for this one. Okay. That's, <laughs> uh, I respect that. And I will go with, oh, why not? Kyle Busch. Um, he's a guy that can win anywhere. Now we're going anywhere that nobody's been. So uh, 
why not Kyle? He was, uh, he was pretty strong in the 600 as well. And he's, uh, you know, he's strong wherever he goes. So uh, anyway, we are out of time. So I want to thank you, Richard and Louise. I want to thank iHeartRadio um, speaker, Google podcast and YouTube. I want to thank the Hoobazoo radio network. I want to thank Dan Blay racing art, find them on Facebook. I want to thank Mark Dill and legend of the first super speedway, find them at uh, online first super But most of all, I want to thank you folks that listen to us. Hope you've enjoyed tonight's broadcast, but until next week, good night. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.